Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. This is Bill R. from Philadelphia. That's what brought me in, is desperation. You know, desperation is a, is a great motivator. It's wax on, wax off, right? And if you're not practicing the wax on, wax off, you're not going to master the moves. There's a lot of muscle and, and what I'd call mind memory that has to be mastered. And you can only get that by being close to the program. For this alcoholic, living successfully means right-sizing my ego, try to commit to help others, and to respect and honor God. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. On this show, we try to bring inspiration through conversations with members of the recovery community through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. We are not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery programs, but you'll hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Today on the show... Bill R. from Philadelphia. Before we get to the show, we'd like to ask for your help. If you could give us a rating or a comment on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast network you're using, we'd greatly appreciate it. It's going to help us improve the show and expand our reach. We hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm fantastic today. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm really good. Today's a good day. Uh, we've got Bill R. in from Philadelphia. He's a member of my home group, and I'm really excited to talk to him. So let's bring him in. Hey, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Lee. Yeah, I'm really grateful to be here. So we start the show in the same way, Bill. We ask the guest to read the Daily Reflection for the day. Would you help us get started? Gladly. April 5th, True Brotherhood. We have not once sought to be one in a family, to be a friend among friends, to be a worker among workers to be a useful member of society. Always we try to struggle to the top of the heap or to hide underneath it. This self-centered behavior blocked a partnership relation with any one of those about us. Of true brotherhood, we had small comprehension. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 53. This message contained in step four was the first one I heard loud and clear. I hadn't seen myself in print before. Prior to my coming into AA, I knew of no place that could teach me how to become a person among persons. From my very first meeting, I saw people doing just that, and I wanted what they had. One of the reasons that I'm happy, sober, and sober alcoholic today is that I'm learning this most important lesson. Thanks for reading. I love this reading. And actually, when I first got into AA, this this was one of the readings that hit me right off the bat. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this concept of just being a worker among worker, a friend among friends? For me, it's it's a learned behavior. And as far as that goes, I'm a work in progress. But it's it's interesting. And I really noted, you know, in the quote from the, the 12 and 12, he talks about always we try to struggle to the top of the heap or to hide underneath it. And those two expressions really strike a nerve with me. Uh, I remember one time years ago in a job performance review, you know, my boss had said, you know, I think you're okay at your job, but it seems to me you're always trying to fly under the radar, never be noticed. And, you know, that's true. And, and I think it's sort of an underlying characteristic of alcoholics. You know, certainly I see it myself. I was a an active alcoholic as a husband, as a dad, as a co-worker, as a brother, as a son-in-law. You know, I, I was continually focused on my own interest in the relationship and not seeing like what I brought to the relationship as part of a greater whole. I wanted what I wanted and, you know, and I did what I needed to do to get it. And that was true with respect to alcohol. And I think it was also true 
respect to relationships that, that I had in my life. And, you know, one of the things that happened to me early, early on when I came into AA, I went weekends to a meeting out near where I live. There were three older guys, and I have to chuckle when I say that because they were probably about the same age that I am right now. But when I got started, they seemed older. And after about a month of me coming to the meeting pretty the week of those weekends pretty regularly, as I was trying to leave the meeting and, and head back home, they they kind of cornered me and they were like, uh, "What are you doing today, Bill?" And, and I was like, "Well, you know, I I have to drop off my laundry at the cleaners, and I got to run by Home Depot." And then one of them puts his hand like on my chest. He goes, now that's all wrong. You're coming to breakfast with us. And for the next like two and a half years, I came to breakfast with those guys. You know, it's not in the big book. It's not one of the steps, but I learned so much from those, those three guys just about life. You know, I remember I was walking from the sunrise semester meeting, which is my home group. And I was walking up to my office and it's about a mile walk. Uh, in Center City, Philly. And as I was walking across the street, I had the the walk right away in the crosswalk. And I started to cross and a guy in oncoming traffic was taking a left-hand turn and he turned through the light and, and, and almost hit me. And so I yelled something at him and he stopped. He yelled something back at me. And of course I responded in kind and, and he got out of his car, right? Like he was going to start a fight. And I'm like, all right, you know, that's your choice. And uh, he he just looked at me, goes, you're effing crazy. And he sort of went trudging along. And uh, I was walking in my office is up near the train station in Philadelphia. So there's big concourse up there. And uh, as I was walking by there, I went into the into the seating area in the food court and uh, I sat down. I was shaking and I called one of those guys and. I thought it'd be like, I thought he'd be upset with me or, you know, he'd like scold me about, you know, that's not what we do in the program. But instead he was like, he's like, listen, this is great, right? You called me and we're talking about it now. And you can recognize like what you did wrong in that encounter. And it was, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Normal people don't pick fights with people uh, because they practically hit them in a crosswalk. Um, and uh, I did that day, you know, and I've, and I've behaved like that before. And the irony to me, like comparing that moment three years ago, I guess I was crossing the street, similar thing. Uh, I was on my way actually to sunrise semester and uh, a guy who was sort of lost and it was seven in the morning and it was dark and it was rainy. And I had my hood pulled over my head for my rain jacket and a guy making a turn turned into me and uh, and he hit me and he ruptured my ACL and he tore my MCL. I'm lying there on the street and uh, he got out. And at first, all I wanted to do was I wanted to yell at him. I'm like, okay, I'm okay. And there was a, a street vendor who helped, helped me up. And this guy was an immigrant from Sierra Leone, I'm sorry, from Liberia. And he was, I, he couldn't even speak, right? He was so frightened. And for the next 10 minutes until the, the police officer showed up to report the incident, I was like consoling him. They're not going to deport you. It's going to be okay. Look, I'm standing here. I'm probably not going to die from this. So no contact. No, well, there was contact, but it's like no foul. This is, this is not a big deal. To me, that's amazing, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a result of the program. 
you know, and it's a result of, to get back to my original point. I mean, that's a result of people like those three old guys who helped me out, you know, and two of the three guys are now dead. And, and the third guy is in an Alzheimer's facility and he's gone. Right. And, and I think of that in the context of, okay, Bill, it's time for you to step up. Right. And, and try to be an accountable, productive member of AA. You know, like it's, this is sounds corny as anything, but sometimes corny things are true, right? It's as if the baton has been passed along to me and my generation. You know, my sobriety date is June 1st, uh, 2006. So I've gotten a few 24 hours under my belt. And uh, I try to pass along what was freely given to me, referring to one of the themes of the reading, you know, the brotherhood. I've taken a number of men through the book. We've read the book together. Most of them, who at least stayed in the air, were parts of each other's life, and we support each other mutually. You know, I was always the lone wolf. I'm finding I'm able to like to live and exist without being the lone wolf, right? I've one of the the things that you, if you go to enough meetings, you hear somebody say it, and it it, it applies to me. You know, I uh, I now recognize the difference between solitude and loneliness, right? I can do things like I, I like to ride bicycles, you know, and I can go for a two or three hour bike ride and be perfectly content, right? And recognizing that I'm just doing it because I enjoy that. I'm out in nature, a lot of things, and I'm not trying to escape from other people. I can do those things and but still try to be a productive member of society. Productive member of AA really is is what I need to focus my attention on. And uh, you know, and also enjoy like spending time doing something I enjoy in solitude. It's a beautiful thing. You know, and, and as you were talking, I was thinking about page 64 in the book where it talks about our liquor being but a symptom and we had to get and we had to get down to causes and conditions. That means step four. And we're in April. We're talking about the fourth step. The fact that resentment, like you said, is the number one offender. Yep. We have a spiritual malady. So I'm wondering how the fourth step has manifested in your life and how it's changed the way, you know, in some of the ways that you talked about how it's changed you. Well, I've done two fourth steps during my membership in, in, in AA. And I'll, I'll be quite frank, the, the first time through was pretty cursory. But I will say, I will say, right, it was good enough to keep me sober and keep me going until the second time around. My first sponsor was a really good man. He's very active in AA out here in the western suburbs. But, but he picked me. He came up to me after a meeting and, you know, he was asking me the, the thoughtful questions that a, that a sober man would ask a newcomer. When he heard that I didn't have a sponsor, he said, well, would you like me to be your sponsor? And I agreed to that. You know, we worked together for a while. He took a job where he did a lot of international travel. When he was around, I, I would, you know, when I knew he was in the country, I'd, I'd always, I didn't use him the way you should use a sponsor, the way I try to be available to men now. And uh, I'd feel like, well, I should call Hal, but, you know, he, he's been on the road for two weeks. You know, he's got kids. I, I'll call him some other time or, you know, when I really, really need to. And then I went a few years like that where I, I had a sponsor. If you asked him, Hal, are you sponsoring Bill? He'd, oh yeah, I recognize Bill. Yeah, we, we've been working together somewhat. But I was at a meeting a few years later at Sunrise Semester, and, and there was a guy who had joined our group. It was more than a couple times where he would share I'd think to myself, wow, I wish I could share like that. I wish I could talk to, to, the, to the men I'm trying to read the book with and go through the book with. I wish I could say that to them. 
so that they could learn that, so that I could learn that. After maybe six or seven months of wishing for this, it like I had this epiphany. Why don't you just ask him to take you through the book and then you'll learn what he's talking about. And so we did that. That was the decision that made the difference. And, and I think in a way, just looking back and knowing myself, part of what I've said about myself, uh, you know, the second time through the steps, I was not trying to fly under the radar. You know, it was I had invested in it. And, and in my own mind, I'm convinced, right, it was the fact that I had taken action, right? It was my action that had me working with with Jim, right? It was a choice that I would made. It was a commitment I made that like left me more invested in working the book with Jim than I had ever felt prior, you know, and, and it made all the difference. The other thing, and this is particular to the fourth step, I did my fourth step and then we got together to review it together in, in the fifth step. I do have my fears, right? But when we tallied up the sort of the score on the items that I'd identified, you know, Jim was like, well, maybe you're, you think you're fear-based, but I got to tell you, man, when I'm looking at like these things on the list, you seem to me to be a guy with an, an inflated sense of self. It's interesting, right? I mean, if somebody had come up to me in a bar and said that, I'd have been pissed, right? And I'd have been real angry. And it was complete buy-in. I'm like, whoa, that's what it is. You know, and I guess I could have saved myself time and trouble. I could have just asked my wife because she always gives me an honest answer. And, you know, we've been together for coming up on 40 years this summer, right? Well, that we've, that we've been married and we've been together longer than that. And, and she knows me and she knows all the ins and outs. Uh, and I'm grateful, right, that she's stayed with me for all that. It changed the way that I thought about myself. And when we started working on the individual character defects, right? It was a base from which I could sort of take action, right? In terms of, you know, what do I need to, to, to improve myself and to try to set myself right and to be like a real managed service? That, that made a lot of difference. I don't, it was that ability to identify a character defect and then really take positive action on it. And, uh, you know, that was something that Jim and I did together. You know, and, and that was one of the things that I appreciated about him. I mean, I'm I'm not very good at self-diagnosing. And he had a very gentle but deliberate way of saying, all right, like, what if we tried this? And what if we tried that? And and it really worked for me. What I really appreciate about what you're saying is just this open-mindedness and willingness to learn. And funny, your wife probably knew all these things, but sometimes it's just another alcoholic working with us, an, an alcoholic that helps us be open-minded and willing uh, to hear these things that maybe aren't the most ideal character traits that we have. But what do you think it was that gave you that willingness to really look at yourself in a new way? Because I think early on in sobriety, the willingness is I don't want to drink again. Correct. But then later you're doing it again. There's a diff- there's another reason for that willingness. What was that? Number one, right. I, I try to take the steps to heart. And I try to be serious about my program to, to like live within the program, right? You need to practice the 12th step. And I felt as if, you know, my 12 step work, it needed, I needed to up my game, you know, particularly in terms of sponsoring other men. I, I didn't feel that they were getting an honest effort. You know, I was the root of that. And like, as, as I said, I mean, I, I was in the coffee shop around the corner for our meeting and I, I had said to somebody, I wish I could talk to my sponsees the way Jim talks at those meetings. And, you know, that's, I had the aha moment. 
delayed reaction, but I had the aha moment. Why don't you ask Jim to work with you and then see what that gets you? And, and so that was what was behind it. I came into the program with a lot to lose. I mean, I guess everybody does, right? Because we, we all have the possibility of losing our lives, right? Losing our freedom, right? Death, institution, and jails. But, you know, when I was brought to my bottom, you know, I was at the precipice of losing my job, uh, losing my marriage, losing my family. Uh, you know, self-respect and all that had been out the window for years before that. But, you know, and to the point where I didn't even really recognize where I was on that front. But, you know, th- in terms of like the immediacy, it was, you know, I can't lose my job. I didn't want to lose my job. I did not want to like lose my wife. I did not want to lose my kids. And, you know, at the time, like my daughter was, you know, she was a freshman in college, you know, so I, I see guys. And I see men and women in the rooms who have small children, and it's like, wow. I mean, they have no idea if they can hold on to this and live with it. They have no idea what they're sidestepping, you know. And I, and I don't want to say I'm envious of that because I firmly believe, you know, that I had to punish myself and unfortunately punish everybody around me to the extent that I did, that I'd have the willingness to do what I needed to do. There was one day that my wife and I. Ironically, we're putting away groceries. We seem to have our best conversations while we're putting away groceries. She had asked me, she was like, you know, do you ever wish you got sober sooner? And, you know, my response was immediate. It was like, no. She was offended by that. And I had to explain. I I really had to put it in context, right? I mean, me, I had to have, I mean, I had to get beaten up to the point where I could say, I need to start over. I need to do something different. This is not working. Do I regret the way I hurt her and the way that I hurt my family, you know, my in-laws and other people who, you know, who I had embarrassed by my behavior? Absolutely, I do. Unfortunately, right, it's my decision to go to AA and to, and to become sober, right? That, that was not the result of a consensus, right? I was the only guy who got to vote on that. It, as a matter of fact, I I'm, am by nature, I think, defiant enough had somebody suggested, Bill, you need to get sober, right? I, I would have ignored them. And it, there's a conversation that happened to me when I was in college. It came back to me in the last couple of years. I was on the track team at school and I was a pretty good in college and I was a pretty good runner. And we had voted for captains of the of the team. And most people would consider me a candidate to be one of the captains. And after the vote, and I wasn't voted captain, one of the guys who was, he was one of my classmates, uh, you know, came up to me, said, Bill, I think you deserve to be captain, but I couldn't vote for you. The way you drink, the way you party, the example you set for the younger guys on the team, I can't abide that. I had completely forgotten that conversation until a couple of years ago. The guy had changed jobs and it showed up on the sports pages. And all of a sudden, I remember, holy cow, I remember that. It's 1977 and Mickey was point blank. And uh, I was not in a position to take that in. And it took me a long time you know, before I had the willingness or the sanity, right, to be able to say, all right, this can't keep going on, you know, so that's what brought me in, it was desperation, you know, desperation is a, is a great motivator. You know, going back to the reflection and, and what you've shared so far, you know, specifically about, yeah, you had a drinking problem, but you also had a problem with relationships, and <laughs> I'm curious, maybe there was some way that you could have eliminated your drinking problem. I feel that 
I definitely would have sold myself short with everything I've gained in the program outside of, you know, the freedom of waking up without thinking about drinking and drugging, which is an amazing thing. But, but I've gotten so much more just in terms of spirituality and connections and relationships. And I'm curious what you might tell the newcomer who is struggling with their biggest problem, which is addiction, uh, but also probably struggling with some of those same things. What might you tell the newcomer? The secondary issues like relationships and, and work and things like that. I mean, they are secondary, you know, to try to rebuild your life without addressing your, your problem with alcohol, right? It's like trying to build a house without a sound foundation. You know, I mean, you have to be in it. You have to be sober. In line with that, I'd say, you know, other things have to be put on the back burner. When I came into the rooms, I'm going to put air quotes around, I believed in God, right? I mean, I guess in a, in a sense, I believe he existed, but I never used him. I never relied on him. But to get back to your question, you don't have to become a theologian to be successful in AA, right? And if, if what's holding you up is, is the God thing, right? Move, you know, acknowledge it and, and move on to the next step, right? I think the, you're going to find is like, the things you held close and the things you believed in when you first came into the rooms are going to be far different than they are a few years down the road. That's inevitable. And I've seen people and, well, I've seen my own relationship with my higher power has changed a great deal since when I first came in. You know, I'm not a churchgoer, but I try to improve my, as we say, I try to improve my conscious contact with a power greater than myself. So I have things that I read and practices that I have you know, prayer, meditation. I have a, a series of readings that I practice every day that, that help to get me centered and hopefully try to right size my ego and put myself in the proper place within the hierarchy of, of life, you know, which is not at the top, mercifully. You know, I, one, you got to come to, I'd say you have to go to meetings frequently, right? You, until you, it's like the karate kid, Mike, you know, it, it's wax on, wax off, right? And if you're not practicing the wax on, wax off, you're not going to master the moves. There's a lot of muscle and, and what I'd call mind memory that has to be mastered, right? And you, you can only get that by being close to the program. The other benefit of being close to the program is you're going to come in daily contact with people have found a way to alleviate the bondage of alcohol. You can learn from observing and learn from listening, you know, what the solution is and, and, you know, I try to pattern my behavior. If I'm trying to learn something, I'm, you know, a new skill. I'm going to see somebody who's mastered it and try to mimic what they do. And, you know, it was concluded early on in Sunrise was that the people who had the longest sobriety tended to be the people who had the most consistent attendance. You know, it was also impressed on me to be in service. So I think there's a hierarchy of service, right? There's some things that you can't do when you're a newcomer, either like in our home group, there's some time requirements for some commitments. But I think something as I was going to say simple, but it's not something as underappreciated as listening to people when they share, giving them your full attention, right? Because there are days that I've showed up desperate to just unburden myself by sharing something that was on my mind. That's a way, way I can be in service to the person in the next chair to me is I can just shut up and listen to them when they need to share, you know, and anybody can do that. You can do that with a day. You can do that with 50 years. Then there's all the other simple things, you know, put away chairs, you know, help to set up the room, 
be in service. You know, our group has, in normal non-COVID times, we have service commitments that anybody could go to. And I try, you know, I've always tried to do those things. And, and I've been able to go to service commitments with people who have more time to me and then learn from them when we do those things. So I, any newcomer can, can do that. That's really great advice for newcomers. Maybe they should rewind and listen again because I'm really enjoying this a lot. We appreciate you stepping up, Bill, for this. And um, But before we wrap up, is there any final thought you'd like our audience to hear? Any, any last bit of wisdom from Bill R. from <laughs> Philly? <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that there's any wisdom in, in any of this, right? I mean, getting sober is not about earning your PhD, right? It's, it's learning how to live one day at a time. It's learning how to live on life on life's turn, right? And and that, you don't have to be in Mensa to do that. As a matter of fact, it's probably a headwind if you are, right? For this alcoholic, living successfully means right-sizing my ego, try to commit to help others, you know, and, and to, to respect and honor God. That's what it means to me. Well, Bill, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been a great conversation. Well, I want to thank the both of you. I Still stunned that you asked me to do this, uh, but I'm, I'm grateful. I guess the other thing that I'd say to a newcomer is how important gratitude is. I make less money now than I made when I first came into AA, and I live a life that's beyond my wildest imagination. There were things that I had then that I have now that I took for granted, and I try to be grateful for every day and for all the, the blessings that I have in my life. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a, a joy. Thank you. Well, thank you for your service. It's your commitment to the podcast is it blows me away. It's amazing. Oh, it's a joy. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thanks so much to Bill for stopping by. And thanks to you, the listeners. If you want to follow us online, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash group slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily reflector. You can read about recovery on our blog at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.